What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information and to find out how to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marion Brown, Toronto, Canada. Famous Modern Ghost Stories, compiled by Dorothy Scarborough. Section 3, The Messenger, by Robert W. Chambers. Little Grey Messenger, robed like painted death, your robe is dust, whom do you seek among lilies and closed buds at dusk? Among lilies and closed buds at dusk, whom do you seek, Little Grey Messenger, robed in the awful penelope of painted death? All wise, hast thou seen all there is to see with thy two eyes? Dost thou know all there is to know, and so omniscient, darest thou still to say thy brother lies? 1. The bullet entered here, said Max Fortin, and he placed his middle finger over a smooth hole exactly in the center of the forehead. I sat down upon a mound of dry seaweed and unslung my fowling piece. The little chemist cautiously felt the edges of the shot hole, first with his middle finger, and then with his thumb. Let me see the skull again, said I. Max Fortin picked it up from the sod. It's like all the others, he repeated, wiping his glasses on his handkerchief. I thought you might care to see one of the skulls, so I brought this one over from the gravel pit. The men from Banalek are digging yet. They ought to stop. How many skulls are there altogether? I inquired. They found thirty-eight skulls. There are thirty-nine noted in the list. They lie piled up in the gravel pit on the edge of Labihan's wheat field. The men are at work yet. Labihan is going to stop them. Let's go over, said I, and I picked up my gun and started across the cliffs, Porton on one side, Wolm on the other. Who has the list, I asked, lighting my pipe. You say there's a list? The list was found rolled up in a brass cylinder, said the chemist. He added, you should not smoke here. You know that if a single spark drifted into the wheat. Ah, but I have a cover to my pipe, said I, smiling. Fortin watched me as I closed the pepper-box arrangement over the glowing bowl of the pipe. Then he continued. The list was made out on thick yellow paper. The brass tube has preserved it. It is as fresh today as it was in 1760. You shall see it. Is that the date? The list is dated April, 1760. The Brigadier Durand has it. It is not written in French. Not written in French? I exclaimed. No, no replied Fortin solemnly. 
It is written in Breton. But, I protested, the Breton language was never written or printed in 1760, except by priests, said the chemist. I have heard of but one priest who ever wrote the Breton language, I began. Fortune stole a glance at my face. You mean the black priest? he asked. I nodded. Fortin opened his mouth to speak again, hesitated, and finally shut his teeth obstinately over the wheat stem that he was chewing. "'And the black priest?' I suggested encouragingly. But I knew it was useless, for it is easier to move the stars from their courses than it is to make an obstinate Breton talk. We walked on for a minute or two in silence. "'Where is Brigadier Durand?' I asked, motioning Mome to come out of the wheat, which he was trampling as though it was heather, as I spoke, we came in sight of the farther edge of the wheat field and the dark, wet mass of cliffs beyond. Durand is down there. You can see him. He stands just behind the mare of St. Gildas. I see, said I, and we struck straight down, following a sun-baked cattle path across the heather. When we reached the edge of the wheat field, the Behan, the mare of St. Gildas, called to me, and I tucked my gun under my arm and skirted the wheat to where he stood. Thirty-eight skulls, he said in a thin, high-pitched voice. There is but one more, and I am opposed to further search. I suppose Fortin told you. I shook hands with him and returned the salute of the Brigadier Durand. I am opposed to further search, repeated Le Bihan, nervously picking at the mass of silver buttons, which covered the front of his velvet and broadcloth jacket like a breastplate of scale armor. Durand pursed up his lips twisted his tremendous moustache, and hooked his thumbs in his sabre-belt. "'As for me,' he said, "'I am in favour of further search.' "'Further search for what? "'For the thirty-ninth skull?' I asked. Mabihan nodded. Durand frowned at the sunlit sea, rocking like a bowl of molten gold from the cliffs to the horizon. I followed his eyes. On the dark glistening cliffs, silhouetted against the glare of the sea, sat a cormorant, black, motionless, its horrible head raised toward heaven. "'Where's that list, Durand?' I asked. The gendarme rummaged in his despatch pouch and produced a brass cylinder about a foot long. Very gravely he unscrewed the head and dumped out a scroll of thick yellow paper, closely covered with writing on both sides. At a nod from Le Bihan, he handed me the scroll, but I could make nothing of the coarse writing, now faded to a dull brown. "'Come, come, Le Bihan,' I said impatiently. "'Translate it, won't you? "'You and Max Fortin make a lot of mystery out of nothing, it seems.' "'Le Bihan went to the edge of the pit, "'where the three Banalek men were digging, "'gave an order or two in Breton, and turned to me. "'As I came to the edge of the pit, "'the Banalek men were removing a square piece of sailcloth "'from what appeared to be a pile of cobblestones. "'Look!' said Le Bihan shrilly. "'I looked.' The pile below was a heap of skulls. After a moment I clambered down the gravel sides of the pit and walked over to the men of Banalak. They saluted me gravely, leaning on their picks and shovels, and wiping their sweating faces with sunburned hands. "'How many?' said I in Breton. Thirty-eight, they replied. I glanced around. Beyond the heap of skulls lay two piles of human bones. Beside these was a mound of broken, rusted bits of iron and steel— Looking closer, I saw that this mound was composed of rusty bayonets, saber-blades, scythe-blades, with here and there a tarnished buckle attached to a bit of leather hard as iron. I picked up a couple of buttons and a belt-plate. The buttons bore the royal arms of England. 
The belt plate was emblazoned with the English arms, and also with the number 27. I have heard my grandfather speak of the terrible English regiment, the 27th Foot, which landed and stormed the fort up there, said one of the Banalek men. Oh, said I, then these are the bones of English soldiers? Yes, said the men of Banalek. Labihan was calling to me from the edge of the pit above, and I handed the belt plate and buttons to the men, and climbed the side of the excavation. Well, said I, trying to prevent Mome from leaping up and licking my face as I emerged from the pit, I suppose you know what these bones are. What are you going to do with them? There was a man, said Lebihan angrily, an Englishman, who passed here in a dog cart on his way to Quimper about an hour ago. And what do you suppose he wished to do? Buy the relics? I asked, smiling. Exactly, the pig, piped the mayor of St. Gildas. Jean-Marie Tregunc, who found the bones, was standing there where Max Fortin stands. And do you know what he answered? He spat upon the ground and said, Pig of an Englishman, do you take me for a desecrator of graves? I know Tregunc, a sober blue-eyed Breton, who lived from one year's end to the other without being able to afford a single bit of meat for a meal. How much did the Englishman offer Tregunc? I asked. Two hundred francs for the skulls alone. I thought of the relic hunters and the relic buyers on the battlefields of our civil war. Seventeen hundred and sixty is long ago, I said. Respect for the dead can never die, said Fortin. And the English soldiers came here to kill your fathers and burn your homes, I continued. They were murderers and thieves, but they are dead, said Tregunk, coming up from the beach below, his long sea-rake balanced on his dripping jersey. How much do you earn every year, Jean-Marie? I asked, turning to shake hands with him. Two hundred and twenty francs, monsieur. Forty-five dollars a year. Pah, you are worth more, Jean. Will you take care of my garden for me? My wife wished me to ask you. I think it would be worth one hundred francs a month to you and to me. Come on, Le Bihan. Come along, Fortin and you, Durand. I want somebody to translate that list into French for me. Tregunk stood gazing at me, his blue eyes dilated. "'You may begin at once,' I said, smiling, "'if the salary suits you.' "'It suits,' said Tregunk, fumbling for his pipe in a silly way that annoyed Le Bihan. "'Then go and begin your work,' cried the mare impatiently, and Tregunk started across the moors towards St. Gildas, taking off his velvet-ribbon cap to me and gripping his sea-rake very hard. "'You offer him more than my salary,' said the mare, after a moment's contemplation of his silver buttons. "'Pooh!' said I, what do you do for your salary except play dominoes with Max Portin at the Gua Inn? Le Bihan turned red, but Durand rattled his sabre and winked at Max Fortin, and I slipped my arm through the arm of the sulky magistrate, laughing. There's a shady spot under the cliff, I said. Come on, Le Bihan, and read me what is in the scroll. In a few moments we reached the shadow of the cliff, and I threw myself upon the turf, chin on hand, to listen. The gendarme, Durand, also sat down, twisting his moustache into needle-like points. Fortin leaned against the cliff, polishing his glasses and examining us with vague, near-sighted eyes. And Le Bihan, the mare, planted himself in our midst, rolling up the scroll and tucking it under his arm. First of all, he began in a shrill voice, I am going to light my pipe, and while lighting it, I shall tell you what I have heard about the attack on the fort yonder. My father told me, his father told him. He jerked his head in the direction of the ruined fort, a small square stone structure on the sea cliff, now nothing but crumbling walls. Then he slowly produced a tobacco pouch, 
a bit of flint and tinder, and a long-stem pipe fitted with a microscopical bowl of baked clay. To fill such a pipe requires ten minutes' close attention. To smoke it, to a finish, takes but four puffs. It is very Breton, this Breton pipe. It is the crystallization of everything Breton. Go on, said I, lighting a cigarette. The fort, said the mayor, was built by Louis the Fourteenth, and was dismantled twice by the English. Louis the Fifteenth restored it in 1730. In 1760 it was carried by assault by the English. They came across the island of Croix, three shiploads, and they stormed the fort and sacked St. Julien yonder, and they started to burn St. Gildas. You can see the marks of their bullets on my house yet. But the men of Banalek and the men of Lorient fell upon them with pike and scythe and blunderbuss, and those who did not run away lie there below in the gravel pit now, thirty-eight of them. And the thirty-ninth skull? I asked, finishing my cigarette. The mayor had succeeded in filling his pipe, and now he began to put his tobacco pouch away. The thirty-ninth skull, he mumbled, holding the pipe stem between his defective teeth. The thirty-ninth skull is no business of mine. I have told the Banalek men to cease digging. But what is? Whose is the missing skull? I persisted curiously. The mayor was busy trying to strike a spark to his tinder. Presently he set it aglow, applied it to his pipe, took the prescribed four puffs, knocked the ashes out of the bowl, and gravely replaced the pipe in his pocket. The missing skull? he asked. Yes, I said impatiently. The mayor slowly unrolled the scroll and began to read, translating from the Breton into French, and this is what he read. On the Cliffs of St. Gildas, April 13, 1760. On this day, by order of the Count of Soisic, General-in-Chief of the Breton forces now lying in Kersalik Forest, the bodies of thirty-eight English soldiers of the twenty-seventh, fiftieth, and seventy-second regiments of foot were buried in this spot, together with their arms and equipments. The mayor paused and glanced at me reflectively. Go on, Le Bihan, I said. With them, continued the mayor, turning the scroll and reading on the other side, was buried the body of that vile traitor who betrayed the fort to the English. The manner of his death was as follows. By the order of the most noble Count of Soisic, the traitor was first branded upon the forehead with the brand of an arrowhead. The iron burned through the flesh and was pressed heavily so that the brand should even burn into the bone of the skull. The traitor was then led out and bidden to kneel. He admitted having guided the English from the island of Croix. Although a priest and a Frenchman, he had violated his priestly office to aid him in discovering the password to the fort. This password he extorted during confession from a young Breton girl who was in the habit of rowing across from the island of Groix to visit her husband in the fort. When the fort fell, this young girl, crazed by the death of her husband, sought the Count of Soisic and told how the priest had forced her to confess to him all she knew about the fort. The priest was arrested at St. Gildas as he was about to cross the river to Lorient. When arrested, he cursed the girl, Marie Trevac. What? I exclaimed. Marie Trevac? Marie Trevac, repeated Le Bihan. The priest cursed Marie Trevac and all her family and descendants. He was shot as he knelt, having a mask of leather over his face, because the Bretons who composed the squad of execution refused to fire at a priest unless his face was concealed. 
The priest was Labbe Sorgu, commonly known as the Black Priest on account of his dark face and swarthy eyebrows. He was buried with a stake through his heart. Lebihan paused, hesitated, looked at me, and handed the manuscript back to Durand. The gendarme took it and slipped it into the brass cylinder. So, said I, the thirty-ninth skull is the skull of the Black Priest. Yes, said Fortin, I hope they won't find it. I have forbidden them to proceed, said the mayor querulously. You heard me, Max Fortin. I rose and picked up my gun. Mome came and pushed his head into my hand. That's a fine dog, observed Durand, also rising. Why don't you wish to find his skull? I asked Lubihan. It would be curious to see where the arrow brand really burned into the bone. There is something in that scroll that I didn't read to you, said the mayor grimly. Do you wish to know what it is? Of course, I replied in surprise. Give me the scroll again, Durand, he said. Then he read from the bottom. I, Labbe Sorgu, forced to write the above by my executioners, have written it in my own blood, and with it I leave my curse, my curse on St. Gildas, on Marie Trevec, and on her descendants. I will come back to St. Gildas when my remains are disturbed. Woe to that Englishman whom my branded skull shall touch. What rot, I said, do you believe it was really written in his own blood? I'm going to test it, said Fortin, at the request of Monsieur Le Maire, I am not anxious for the job, however. See, said Le Bihan, holding out the scroll to me, it is signed, L'Abbé Sorgu. I glanced curiously over the paper. It must be the black priest, I said. He was the only man who wrote in the Breton language. This is a wonderfully interesting discovery, for now, at last, the mystery of the black priest's disappearance is cleared up. You will, of course, send the scroll to Paris, Le Bihan? No said the mayor obstinately, it shall be buried in the pit below, where the rest of the black priest lies. I looked at him and recognized that argument would be useless. But still I said, it will be a loss to history, Monsieur Le Bihan. All the worse for history, then, said the enlightened mayor of St. Gildas. We had sauntered back to the gravel pit while speaking. The men of Banalek were carrying the bones of the English soldiers toward the St. Gildas cemetery on the cliffs to the east where already a knot of white-coiffed women stood in attitudes of prayer, and I saw the somber robe of a priest among the crosses of the little graveyard. They were thieves and assassins. They are dead now, muttered Max Fortin. Respect the dead, repeated the mayor of St. Gildas, looking after the Banalek men. It was written in that scroll that Marie Trevac of Groix Island was cursed by the priest. She and her descendants, I said, touching Le Bihan on the arm. There was a Marie Trevac who married an Eve Trevac of St. Gildas. It is the same, said Le Bihan, looking at me obliquely. Oh, said I, then they were ancestors of my wife. Do you fear the curse? asked Le Bihan. What? I laughed. There was the case of the purple emperor, said Max Fortin timidly. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.